0: Good morning, patriots. This is Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today, I'll cover seven lessons being taught in public schools, and we'll cover part of an American Greatness article aimed at turning us from lambs into lions, all next on Living with Liberty. I recently finished the book, Dumbing Us Down by John Taylor Gatto. One of my earliest shows was one on education and how it's the base for us to start moving forward, and I've not really touched on education as a topic in depth since then, mainly because my wife gave me some homework to do, and I wanted to get some of that homework done before I did another in-depth show on education. I wanted to present more information on what we need to be vigilant about when it comes to educating our children, and I wanted to bring some different insight into what our education system is actually doing to our children. I'll cover Gatto's book as part of a series of topics on the show, and a series of shows, really. There is way too much information in in the book to cram into one show. Before we start, want to provide a little uh, context on the book and a little background on John Taylor Gatto himself. The book was written almost 30 years ago, but as I went through it, the parallels to today are scary. The educational indoctrination isn't something that was started recently. I think we all know that and realize that. It's been going on for decades, and we know it's even been going on uh probably prior to when this book was written, for sure. And it's actually, as I had gone through through the book, it's actually been more like a century plus that this type of indoctrination has been going on within our public schools. John Taylor Gatto, at the time of writing the book, had been a New York City school teacher for over 30 years. And he had one teacher of the year in New York State in 1991. He was also something of an outsider that had infiltrated the public education system with all kinds of different ideals and different ideas and perspectives on what public education and, and the system itself is doing to our kids. Gatto, in essence, had the mindset of a homeschool parent, and Gatto was made a bit of an outcast because of it. If there were more teachers like John Taylor Gatto in the schools, there's no doubt that our society would look quite different today. We would have legions of critical thinkers who would not have hair-trigger emotional responses to the propaganda spewed by the mainstream media and politicians. We would have more truth and better discourse in society. We would have people who think for themselves, not wait for someone to tell them what to think or what to do. But critical thinkers and independent thoughts— are not what our overlords want. They want mindless drones who will carry out their assigned tasks and do as they're told. The first chapter of Dumbing Us Down is titled The Seven Lessons School Teacher. Gatto notes that teaching means different things in different places, but there are seven lessons that are universally taught. These seven lessons are what we will cover in our show today. The first lesson taught is confusion. Gatto's first point is he teaches confusion. Everything he teaches is out of context, and what he teaches is the unrelating of everything. He states that even in the best schools, a close examination of curriculum and its sequences turns up a lack of coherence, a host of internal contradictions. Kids have a number of subjects thrown at them day in and day out with no real order to them. There's no real ability to go in-depth on any one subject. There is no logical reason to go from math to English to gym and to music in that order. And it's also a concentration breaker for them. As soon as the students get into a rhythm on a math topic or any particular subject, really, it's abruptly time to switch to another class like English or gym or, you know, whatever, science, whatever. None of the sequence or teaching of subjects is playing into the other. They're just leaving kids with a bombardment of topics of which they must devote only enough time to in order to get any and all of the work done prior to the next class. There's no room to go in depth or do any deep learning on any topic of interest. There's no room to actually dig deep into a subject and hone critical thinking skills. Only enough time to learn the lingo to sound like that student knows what they are talking about when it comes time for class discussion or a test. There's only enough time to confuse students, not enough time to let them sort out the confusion. The second lesson Gatto notes is a, is a class position. It's taught that students must stay in the class where they belong. There's no mingling with other students who might be on the same intellectual level. Think if uh, you've got maybe a, a, a fourth-grade student and maybe they're on the fifth-grade, you know, plane in terms of their intellectual level. We, we can't have that intermingling going on. We got to got to keep them in. In their fourth grade, within their little predefined box, as it were, you know, students in the fourth grade, let's call it as our example here, are strictly to be kept with other students of the same grade level, no matter what their intellectual capabilities are. So what does this teach? Well, for those who are ahead intellectually, it serves as a demotivator because they are not being challenged and are in essence being told that you're the same as others your age, so you might as well not strive to be any better, to improve yourself, to hone your skills, because everyone gets a trophy anyway. Stay in your lane. Stay in your box. This is your predefined box. You need to be there. It also deprives them of the ability to mix and mingle with others, others who are older, and hinders their ability to to learn a new skill. It hinders their ability to uh, see a different perspective of the world. It hinders their ability to be with others who might be on the same intellectual playing field as them. In essence, it teaches them to fall in line with their plight, to be obedient to what they are being told to do. The third lesson, Gatto notes, is indifference. Now, this one ties in with the first two lessons. In this section, Gatto notes that the bell is a lesson in and of itself, that no work is worth finishing. He gives the example that his role as a teacher is to get the students excited and involved in a particular lesson to get them showing genuine enthusiasm. And then the bell rings, and then he demands that whatever they were working on get dropped because it's time to move on to the next topic or the next lesson which goes back to that next lesson has nothing to do with what we were just talking about. This causes kids to learn that nothing is important enough to see through to completion. So why bother starting in the first place? The fourth lesson, Gatto notes, is emotional dependency. Teachers control this by stars and red checks, smiles and frowns, prizes, honors, and disgraces, Gatto notes. He also says these things are designed to make the kids surrender their will to the predestined chain of command. Obedience is the key here. Be obedient to the teacher, and you, as the student, will be granted favor. Now, this is definitely not a meritocracy. Favor and rights aren't earned or granted based on actual performance of the student. Rather, they are earned based on obedience in the hierarchy of the classroom. If you obey, the teacher grants favor. If you don't, then the teacher takes measures to make that student fall in line with the collective, whether that be through public shaming or detention or bad, you know, bad marks on a paper, whatever the case may be. Teacher takes the the measures necessary to try and get that student to fall in line with the accepted norms of the classroom collective. Gatto's fifth lesson is intellectual dependency. Teach the student what to think, not how to think. Gatto states that good students wait for a teacher to tell them what to do. Now, what does this foster in kids? that they aren't able or capable to make a decision for themselves, that they must wait for an expert, put that expert in quotes, an expert, to tell them what they should do or what they should not do. An interesting point made by Gatto in this section of the chapter is that our entire economy depends on this lesson being learned. Do what the experts tell you to do. Think about it in the context of the last year and the ease with which people started slapping on face diapers. Think about how we are pounded daily now with the message of get the vaccine. And how many people do you know that are just blindly getting it without checking out all of the facts because they have been conditioned to just do as they are told to do? Now, think about it also in the hierarchy of a factory. Uh, something I know a little bit about, I started my career in a factory and worked my way up from there. But, you know, I've, I've seen this part, you know, here and how this plays out in the factory. It's the ones that who always do as they are told to do tend to be the ones who do all the manual labor. Well, the ones who step outside the box Maybe getting a little trouble here or there with with their factory supervisors are the ones that end up being actually promoted in up to supervisors and managers. Now, what would happen if we encouraged kids to actually think and decide things for themselves? Of course, based you know on their intellectual capabilities, it's still uh, there for us as parents and vested adults to guide and direct them and help them to make good choices, but. What if we were actually to encourage that—that they actually got to decide things for themselves based on their uh, their development in life? Let's call it. The sixth lesson that Gatto notes is provisional self-esteem. This one goes along with the fifth lesson. Gatto says that our world wouldn't survive a flood of self-confident people for very long, so we must teach that a kid's self-respect should depend on an expert opinion think of this in in the school context of report cards and how many students and parents put pressure on either themselves or their parents putting pressure on the students to get the top grades and the admonishment that comes when those top grades aren't achieved that all goes into the sense of self-esteem and self-worth we're putting pressure on these kids to Get an A when maybe their best is a B, and they don't get that A. They get admonished for not getting the A, and their sense of self worth and self esteem goes down. We've always been in in how we've uh, taught our kids, and even when they did go to public school, was always do your best. If your best was a B, then your best was a B. That was fine as long as you're doing your best. We tried to to make it so uh we had a real sense of what their actual capabilities are and were and set real uh, realistic expectations for them you know th- this also only goes to to reinforce the sense that only experts may do the evaluating only teachers are the ones that are, are granting or are granted the authority to evaluate our students and our kids and 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 that one's self worth is is determined in essence by that evaluation. Like I said, it it shouldn't be. That's um, every kid's different. Everybody has a a different passion and a, a different um, uh, you know different ability. Some are more logical and handle the math and science, and some are more on the call it the the you know the the arts side with either writing or drawing, whatever the case may be. Everybody has their own strengths and. You know we should be doing the evaluations to play on that and and to play to those strengths. We should be teaching to play to those strengths, you know, in essence, but anyway, I digress a little bit here, moving on. you know the this the self evaluation the self worth uh, kind of feeling you know it, it's and and the only being able to have experts evaluate um you know a student only serves to break down the trust one should have in themselves. Breaks down that ability for someone to do the self evaluation, and it instead instead places that uh, that um, opinion making uh, that evaluation within an expert and, and what their opinion is of you. You, you know whether you're good to, you're good to go or you're not good to go. You know again, think of our current situation and how experts like Doctor Fauci are. Referenced as the authorities, even though he's been wrong on just about all the things he's said about COVID, and now think a little bit further about the conditioning that has occurred to train people that their self worth and that they need to do as they they're told, and how that applies to this situation. That well, I'm not uh, you know at this point an expert to to make the the decision on my own health and my own tolerance for risk. So I better listen to Dr. Fauci and I'll ignore all the other, all the other, uh, data that's out there because Dr. Fauci's on TV. He's a government official. He's an expert. I've been trained to just listen to experts and do what I'm told without, uh, you know, without questioning it. So, you know, let's, let's, we'll just do that, right. We'll just, okay. Lockdown's fine. Masks, fine. Double mask, fine I, you know i've got an expert telling me to do that so that's what i'm going to do i'm not going to think for myself so that's that's all been been trained in and be, beat out of a lot of people through our school system you know think about the, just the impact the impact of this and and what that's been on our struggle to break free from the tyranny imposed by elected officials and bureaucrats during the pandemic i think we've got more that are waking up to the, this nonsense now, but, you know, how much sooner would they have uh, woken up had they not been conditioned to just do as they're told and measure their self-worth by what the so-called experts say or what the so-called experts' opinions were. Now, the seventh lesson here that uh, Gatto notes is that one can't hide he states that he teaches students that they are always watched, and that each is under constant surveillance by him and his colleagues. To a certain degree, parents—if you think about uh, homework in the the context of being uh, a bit of a, a surveillance measure, you know, in, issued by teachers—there's no private spaces for children and no private time. Kids get no space to flex independence. To learn something new or learn something outside of the approved curriculum, there's no time for extended fraternizing in between classes. Kids must be watched and they must get used to the constant surveillance and must not be allowed to have their own ideas. Think of this lesson in terms of how quickly we now just give access to our data to the Googles and Twitters and Facebooks of the world. Think about how we do not find traffic cameras, all that imposing on our lives or our privacy. We have been conditioned to accept that our private space and private time are meaningless. We have been conditioned to think that some surveillance of our activities is okay. And then some major event happens and our government decides to surveil us more, all in the name of safety. And we just smile and nod in acceptance and don't question it and don't push back on it. It all starts when we allow public schools unfettered access to our kids' minds without verifying what is being taught and how it is being taught. We allow it without following up with our kids and teaching them values that, like they, uh, teaching the values that they have control over their destiny. They have control over their self worth, and they can make decisions for themselves. And that they can go and learn a subject that is more of interest to them, and they can learn it in depth. If our schools won't teach them how to think, then it is up to us as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, mentors, anybody with a vested interest in, uh, you know, a student, a child, to Instill that, uh, instill those values in our children. The last topic I have for today comes from an American greatness article titled "Until Lambs Become Lions" by Max Morton. We need to take action, friends, and we need to break out of how we've been conditioned and start taking initiative. And the first place that starts is in getting organized and. and joining organizations at uh, local conservative organizations to fight back against the ever-encroaching swarm that is the federal government. We have got to start defunding the elites who so desperately want to transform the United States into their screwed-up vision of utopia. Morton's article goes over many of the same points I've covered in previous episodes, but I think they bear repeating here. It's that important. Morton notes strategy as a key component of taking our country back. Now, I've done several shows on this, and one I think was about a week or so ago when I talked about what we needed to, to do. We needed a strategy to move forward with. You know, we need to have a legitimate strategy to move forward with. And this legitimate strategy, again, is organizing at the local level, getting involved with the local conservative group. And contributing to movement, however, uh, and whatever the, the, your capability is to do that. You know, it can be as simple as making a couple quick phone calls a week or emails a week to your representatives. It can be as simple as defying these ridiculous mandates coming down from tyrannical governors. There's all sorts of ways to, to you know, help and, and contribute and move the the. Uh, you know our our movement along here and our press to restore our freedom and liberty. You know things like calling for civil war or violence is not a strategy of any type. Should be roundly denounced, and anybody calling for that should, you know, be held to account for that and told that there's there's not room for that in the in the movement here. That these things only serve to tighten the grip of the tyrants once they grab hold of one person saying something like that. You know, as we go through, always remember that nullifying the federal government's overreach starts local. We have to to elect local officials. We have to press our local officials to give them, you know, our expectation that they're going to press back against the federal government and that they're going to have our support in doing so. Morton notes that we need to drive from the stream of consciousness that America has a ruling class or ruling elites. If we want to cancel something, let's start by canceling this terminology. Our elected officials are not leaders. They are elected officials. We should always refer to them as such. You know, I'm a big fan of of Tucker Carlson, but he always he always seems to revert refer to our uh Politicians, as as leaders, they're not. They work for us. We hire, we fire. They are elected officials. They need to be reminded of that. You know, referring to them as leaders only serves to feed their ego and make them think they have some sort of special power over us, that they are, in fact, some sort of aristocracy, and, and we should treat them as such. We need to return that relationship to one that is employer-employee. We are the employer. They are our employees. This is not an aristocrat deplorable relationship. They they are not a king or queen or prince or lord. They are an uh, elected official put in place by us to represent our interests. The other thing that uh, I want to touch on here uh, from, from the piece is we need to publicize our agenda, and that agenda needs to be concise. Morton notes that it should fit on a postcard, and that if it doesn't, you don't have a movement, you have a cult. <laughs> that's, uh, I think that could apply to several things here, I suppose, but I think that's a good point. You know, as I've mentioned previously, and Morton also notes in his article, we need to welcome all into our agenda. We need to welcome all into our movement. That is going to mean there are those with whom we may not have agreed with politically in the past, but they they you love America, love our Constitution, respect the tenets laid out in our Constitution, and we are going to need them in our movement to press forward. This goes beyond Democrat and Republican Party affiliations. That That, that doesn't matter anymore. We are going to need to welcome in those we have been trying to warn forever without saying "I told you so." That, uh, admittedly, is probably going to be a lot of our Democrat friends out there. You know, our our agenda now is election integrity, eliminating cancel culture, and taking back our schools. That has to be our our agenda going forward here in the next uh, in the near term. As we accomplish those things, we add new things to the agenda. This all starts local, though. We need to keep that in mind. Our reps will continue to fight as much as they can in Washington, and as much as we press them to, quite honestly. But the local movements are what's going to have the most impact. We have to rebuild ground up. If we ignore the local solely focus on the national, solely focus on the circus in Washington, we will never end up with anything solid from which to build upon. Now, the last point I want to bring up here is we need to help each other out. As conservatives, we have a high sense of individuality and independence, and it's hard at times for us to ask for help. However, with the roving cancellations of different you know whatever's language books whatever and the stranglehold the left has on our institutions right now we need to help each other out more than ever we can help each other by forming education groups whether they be for homeschoolers or even supplemental to counteract the indoctrination of public schools we need to have those groups that are teaching good conservative values good american uh, loving values and, and a love for this country, what it stands for in our Constitution. If you are aware of local establishments and how they lean politically, get to know the owner and make those establishments, should they support conservative causes, make those your primary go-tos for dinners and nights out or drinks here or there or shopping. If you are an attorney, Offer up your services pro bono to those who are defending the Constitution, to those who are involved in the movement. Instead of donating to national relief organizations, donate locally instead. Things like a local church or a local charity, volunteer for those local organizations. They are going to be the front lines for anyone who runs into a need. It's important we stick together as a unified front, with a purposeful agenda. Right now, we are better off together, putting aside for a bit, as conservatives, our strong sense of independence to bond together, to come together, and to work to take back our local, state, and national governments. And with that comes taking back the freedom and liberty our Constitution grants us. That's my show for today, friends. Thank you for listening. I want to uh, bring up that uh, I just posted my first blog post today. I invite you to go to my website and check it out, uh, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. And I have a section of uh, on there for blogs. Be grateful if you check that out and left a little feedback if you feel so inclined. Also, I'd be grateful if you subscribed and left a positive review. Of my show, should your listening platform allow for reviews, it'll help us move up the charts and help more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. You can do that by subscribing to my show as well as signing up for notifications. Follow me on social media. My main account is on Parlor. I am at Living with Liberty. I am also on MeWe. Just search for Living with Liberty. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.